0: This audio presentation was pre recorded and edited for brevity and clarity.
1: Hello, I'm Michael Buckley with the Bright Focus Foundation. Welcome to today's Bright Focus Chat, the future of AMD treatments. If today's your first time on a Bright Focus Chat, welcome. I'll briefly tell you about Bright Focus and what we'll do today on the chat. Bright Focus funds some of the top scientists in the world. These are researchers that are trying to find cures and better treatments for macular degeneration, glaucoma, and Alzheimer's. And we take the opportunity through the chats or through our website, brightfocus.org, or a number of print publications to share the latest news from these scientists with families that are impacted by these diseases. I'd like to introduce today's guest. His name is Dr. Daniel Chow. He is an ophthalmologist at the University of California, San Diego. And Bright Focus has, has been really a great opportunity to partner with him on a research grant from our Macular Regeneration Research Program, and we've had the opportunity to, to hear about his work today. And Dr. Chow is what's known as a clinician scientist. It means he divides his time between seeing patients in the clinic in San Diego and also doing some of, the, some of the most cutting-edge research in the world. So that's why we thought he'd be a great guest today, because he has one foot in the daily practice of vision health and the other foot in uh, researching uh, toward new treatments. So to that, um, Dr. Chao, I'd like to, to welcome you. And if you could just tell us a little, bit, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, thanks so much, Michael, for that great introduction and
0: for having me uh, on this chat. Um, it's always great to be able to talk directly uh, to the patients to tell them about uh, the newest things that are happening in macular degeneration. Um, so about myself, uh, I grew up in the Northern Virginia, uh, a DC area. And you know, I think from an early age, was always interested in in science, in in medicine, and that prompted me uh, then to study uh, biomedical engineering when I was an undergraduate in Richmond, and then led me then out west uh, to do additional training to get my medical degree as well as my PhD degree, um, because I really wanted to go on this uh, physician-scientist track uh, where I could both um, see patients as well as use science to develop uh, new treatments. And so then fast forward now, um, uh, after finishing my training as an ophthalmologist and as a retina specialist, uh, as Michael said, I am a retina specialist at the Eye Institute at the University of California, San Diego. And I, I like to say like I divide my time into three buckets. So one is seeing patients uh, and doing surgery and also teaching uh, residents and fellows. And then another third of my time is doing research in the laboratory. Uh, which is focused on developing new treatments for macular degeneration, and then a third part of my time is spent uh, doing clinical trials. These are clinical studies for new investigational medicines for macular degeneration and other retinal diseases.
1: Well, that's great. We look forward to to uh, uh, hearing about all those 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 different buckets there. And before we turn to a um, you know to to the current and future treatments, I want to just, uh, talk for a moment about COVID. Um, you know, we all hear. I won't say common sense because not everybody does it, but you know, we hear we hear basic things about social distancing and masks and and hand washing and the such. Is there something that people with uh, age-related macular degeneration or glaucoma? Is there something that, that that specific about COVID that they should be aware of or or attentive to? Yeah, well, thanks
0: for that question, Michael. Uh, you know, to the best of our knowledge. Uh, COVID doesn't change, for instance, um, the progression or disease of glaucoma or macular degeneration. I think the key thing to point out is uh, that patients with macular degeneration are generally in a high-risk group for getting COVID in that they are, uh, they're older, they usually have medical comorbidities. And, uh, and so it's important, uh, obviously, to adhere to all of those, um, all the precautions that we've been hearing about in terms of using masks, uh, social distancing, uh, and and especially in the uh, in the retina clinic um, where we are often seeing these patients. Now, uh, at the beginning of the uh, pandemic, uh, we had uh, essentially we had uh, we were only seeing patients with uh, with emergent conditions or emergencies. You know, those would be things that are very sight threatening, like retinal detachments. Um, uh, but we'd also see our patients uh, that had been receiving regular injections for wet macular degeneration, uh, and it's it's very important to continue those uh, those treatments because we know that they are very helpful in pre- preventing uh, progression of of the disease, and uh, and we want to make sure that we can continue to maintain that that vision.
1: As your patients have returned to your clinic, is there a you know a common question or concern or fear either about being you know being in a medical setting or is there is there something you know kind of the recurring that that you and your colleagues have had to address? yeah, I think certainly
0: uh there's always that uh that fear of going out and and contracting covid uh by going into medical facility uh you know a lot of my patients tell me like oh well, this is really the only time I really get out of the the, the house a lot of times is where my visits for for macular degeneration. Uh, And I would say, uh, like, I think in our hospital uh, facilities, uh, we have uh, very established protocols and and, and strong things in uh, place to make it it as safe uh, as possible. I think those have been very successful so far. You know, these are things like uh, having every patient that comes in, their temperatures checked, uh, they're asked about COVID uh, symptoms, and they're all required to wear masks. And in addition, we don't have patients wait out uh, in the lobby. We usually have them wait uh, outside. Uh, we also thoroughly disinfect uh, all the rooms uh, between each patient and counter. And we also do our best to keep the patients moving so that they are not uh, waiting or spending uh, excess time in, in the medical clinic uh, to make sure uh, they're not getting any uh, needless exposure. And of course, all the staff uh, is masked. Uh, where uh we're wearing gloves um obviously for the exam we can't social distance but uh but we take all of the um, uh, precautions that we can and i think so far uh this has been very effective um you know i certainly haven't heard of any uh transmission from from the clinic and i would
1: say in general
0: uh these are pretty standard precautions and uh and and really there's been uh, very little evidence that uh, that patients have been getting uh, COVID through these uh, clinic appointments, uh, it's generally much more so in, um, in in community spread or or being in gatherings, uh, uh, especially inside with other people.
1: Well, great nods. It's, 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 it's great reassurance. And so as we turn to today's topic of the, you know, current and future AMD treatments, so I'd kind of like to you know, sort of break it into those two sections. So kind of starting with where we are today, can you give a broad overview of in general, in America, who has AMD? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so, age related macular degeneration,
0: as the name uh, suggests, is that this disease uh, primarily affects older patients. And so, this usually begins to present itself, uh, usually in the 60s. And, uh, you know, it affects both genders, so it does have a preference for Caucasian individuals. Uh, now, the first signs of macular degeneration, uh, people are probably wouldn't Notice on their own, it's usually that it would be seen by an ophthalmologist or an optometrist. And generally, what we see on the examination are these lipid deposits in the center of the vision called the macula. Uh, these deposits are called uh, called drusen. And essentially, as ophthalmologists, especially in the early stages, we essentially just watch these growth of the uh, drusen maybe once yearly. Um, you know, as, as the disease progresses, these drusen get bigger, then uh, at some point it can then branch and lead to two types of advanced macular degeneration. And these are uh, simplified and cause, called the wet macular degeneration, as well as advanced dry macular degeneration. Uh, what wet macular degeneration is, is that there is a growth of blood vessels um, underneath the retina. These are you know, abnormal blood vessels that can break through the retina. Uh, they can cause uh, scarring as well as um, as well as cause uh, leakage of fluid, and you can kind of think about it as a uh, like tree roots breaking through through the sidewalk uh, a little bit, and uh, and and so that's one type of macular degeneration, and uh, this is treated. We have treatments for this, this is treated with uh, injections in the eye, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, uh, and then the other form of. Advanced macular degeneration is called uh, advanced dry macular degeneration, or or geographic atrophy, as it's already known. And what happens here is that instead of blood vessel growth, essentially the cells in the central part of vision start to die off, and it leaves blind spots uh, in in areas where the patient can't see.
1: And so, when somebody has been diagnosed with um, with AMD, um, what are some of the the current treatments uh, that are that are in a a physician's uh, repertoire to to work with. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so
0: when the macular degeneration is still fairly early, meaning it hasn't progressed to either the wet AMD or the advanced dry AMD, uh, you usually recommend taking uh, this vitamin cocktail. It's called the vitamin, uh, AREDS2 vitamin, um, A-R-E-D-S-2. It's a cocktail vitamins consisting of uh, things like vitamin C, E, zinc, lutein, and zeaxanthin. And the reason why we recommend this is that this particular cocktail of vitamins has been studied in a clinical trial and showed a 25% risk reduction from going from the more early AMD to one of these advanced AMD forms. Um, So that's something that has a modest effect and usually it's something that we'd recommend for patients um, with early macular degeneration. Now, when the macular degeneration becomes wet, uh, then we start injections of medications which inhibit a protein called vascular endothelial growth factor. Um, this is a protein that's been found to be very important for growth of these blood vessels and, and leakage. Uh, and So we administer this through an injection in the eye. Now, um, that sounds like probably the worst thing uh, in the world, um, but it's something that, uh, that that's actually very common in the clinic. We perform uh, you know, many of these injections. And patients with time uh, uh, actually get used to them uh, pretty quickly and it becomes uh, you know, just part of their regular routine. And this has been a really great advance um, for patients because it can really halt the wet macular degeneration uh, in its tracks. And so when we, it, when we administer this medication, we can really prevent further vision loss, uh, prevent uh, patients from going blind, and many times we can improve it so really we can, uh, we, can, we can stop the disease um, and, and keep it at a stable place. Uh, now one thing about wet macular degeneration is that uh, it's, I tell my patients this is a chronic disease like diabetes or, or hypertension. We can't, uh, it's, it's not like we give you one or two or three shots and, and you're cured and you're cured. This is something that we administer, need to administer repeatedly. Uh, in the beginning, we give it um, uh, about once a month, and depending on how you respond, then we potentially can lengthen the interval for the injection to once every two to three months, uh, depending on the patient. Uh, but this requires a regular follow-up with the patients. I, I tell any patient with new mat- wet macular degeneration that we're going to be seeing each other um, a lot, and, uh, and it's something that we follow then for many years, and, that, and and that patients will need to uh, get these injections at, at some rental regular interval for for the rest of their life. Oh, and, and then as we move to the the dry macular degeneration. So unfortunately, uh, currently we don't have any treatments for the advanced dry macular degeneration. Um, but there's a lot of exciting studies in uh, that are that are currently in the pipeline. Well, great, great, and we'll,
1: um, we'll uh, get to those, um, in, you know, in a couple of minutes. No, and Dr. Chow, we have a few questions that are kind of on the the points you've been discussing here. Um, a listener from Arizona is wondering: Is there do any of these current medicines have the ability to reverse uh, vision loss? Any vision loss that may have occurred? Yeah,
0: that's a great question. Usually, for these uh, medications that we're giving right now, they will. Uh, uh, they will prevent further vision loss um, if we catch it really early. Uh, what it can do is maybe help improve it a little bit. Um, but really, what we're doing is uh, maintaining vision from from from
1: where it is right now. Well, great. And then uh, one other uh, question before we we um, move on. A listener in Maryland, kind of a two part question, like. Is there like an overall percentage like what percentage of of dry a and d moves to wet and then kind of parallels that when somebody gets wet and d in one eye like what's the percentage or likelihood of it going to the other eye? So this is sort of a, a prognosticating type of question that our listener has, yeah, absolutely, I think that's a great question um so
0: we know like when you have uh, macular degeneration um uh, what what we call it now we we can grade it with uh different types uh, of Ways usually with um, uh, the size of the drusen, but when you get to what we call intermediate AMD, uh, then we say you have about a 10% risk per year than to uh, to develop uh, uh, the wet AMD. So it, it, if it advances, you know, I would say about 10 to 25% will then uh, progress to the wet AMD. And you know, I think certainly if you've gotten wet AMD. Uh, in one eye, you're certainly at higher risk for getting wet AMD in, uh, in the other eye. And so that's something that we watch uh, very carefully because we're treating that eye. Uh, and I would say, you know, maybe about a third of the patients in the next uh, five years would also get wet AMD in the,
1: in the other eye. Um, now, uh, another question that's come in about these treatments. Is there a sense of, um, uh, you know, how well, you know, the, the existing wet macular med- medications, you know, on the whole, how well do you think that they work? Well, I think
0: in general, for most patients with met- wet macular degeneration, uh, these work uh, really, really well. In that, And the way that we usually monitor these is by looking at the uh, the fluid or the swelling in the eye. And uh, so uh, almost all these medications work very well for, for these. Now, there's a small fraction of patients, uh, maybe about 20% that don't uh, completely respond uh, to these medications, and sometimes we can. There, there's about uh, you know three medications that are currently on the market, and sometimes we can. Uh, they're all very similar, but sometimes we can switch back and forth and and get uh, some type of uh, some type of increased response. Um, but I would say, in general, for the vast majority of patients, uh, these medications
1: work work very well to stabilize the vision. Great, right. and um. Uh, in addition to the treatments that you outlined, uh, the, the the AREDS uh, vitamin supplements, are there other things people can do to help preserve the vision or at least um, you know hold off uh, further loss? You know, in, in, you know, not you know, in addition to the the treatments at their doctor's office.
0: Absolutely. So I think one critical thing is uh, is early diagnosis, uh, especially for for wet AMD, where we have treatments. Uh, Because we know that the earlier you can, uh, the earlier that uh, you are diagnosed with wet macular degeneration, um, uh, the better your vision is. And so, the best predictor of of how, in terms of the vision uh, that you have with wet AMD, is the vision that you come in with when you present with that. And so, I think early screening and home screening is is really important. So there's a couple of things that that we recommend. One is something called uh, an Amsler grid. Uh, this is essentially a piece of uh, it's basically a piece of graph paper, and what we ask patients to do is uh, uh, you know a couple times a week is to cover an eye and look at this Amsler grid. Uh, and if you start to see some sudden changes like where the lines get very blur, uh, very curvy, then those would be signs to uh give your doctor a call and, and get checked out. Uh and and so that's one way of of, of an easy way of of screening yourself for, for macular degeneration. Uh, the other thing uh, is that there's also device home monitoring devices. One is called the 4C home which is essentially this device that that you have at home and uh you you do what's uh, there's a there's a, there's like a visual field test there so you'll go in and and perform that test. Couple times a week, and uh, and if there's a big change, it will then notify uh, your doctor if, if if there's change in that that you should come in to get checked out. Uh, so I think the uh, the early screening uh, is is really important to 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 preserve the vision and
1: macular degeneration. Great. So, Doctor Charles, we pivot to the future. I was wondering if you could start off with. I'll say like a, a a state of the AMD assessment, like when you look at what what your what you and your colleagues are currently doing, what do you see as some of the limitations or challenges that make you and others work uh, work toward improvement? Absolutely. Uh, so
0: I'd like to divide it into uh, into two main buckets, as I've said, one is for wet macular generation, the other one is for for dry macular generation. Uh, so, for wet macular degeneration, I think the big picture is that we now have uh, very effective treatments uh, that can uh, prevent and, and stabilize vision for, for wet macular degeneration. And really, the really big need now that we have is to have treatments that last longer. And as I mentioned, you know, many times, uh, these patients uh, need to come in uh, once a month, and you can imagine uh, how that That can be a very heavy treatment burden there 's also uh, family members uh, that need to come with them and and so that, so there 's a lot of effort and and people involved in in making that happen and so for a long time, uh, people have worked on methods that perhaps we can get these medications to last longer so patients don 't need to come in as frequently and don 't need to get shots as frequently and there are a number of Of approaches that are currently in uh, in clinical trials. Uh, These are things like various uh, uh, sustained release drug delivery. Uh, There's even a surgical implant. And there's also uh, gene therapies uh, which uh, produce uh, this inhibitor of the vascular endothelial growth factor as well. And a lot of them have very promising results. Uh, None of them are available quite yet, but I'm very optimistic uh, in the next uh, five years or so. That certainly, that these will come be coming onto the market. And turning to the dry macular degeneration, I think this is where there's been a real big uh, unmet need, and that we really don't have any treatments right now to uh, uh, to prevent the growth of of this dry macular degeneration. And so right now there are a, uh, but but I think that is changing now. It's uh, it's been a problem that people have been working very hard on for for a long time. And I think we're starting to make progress right now in that there are clinical studies um, with injections of a medication and a pathway called the complement pathway. Uh, This is a pathway involved in inflammation. And they've shown some promising results in decreasing the growth of uh, of these uh, advanced dry AMD lesions. And so I'm hopeful um, that, These studies will, uh, the larger studies will also come out positive, and that this is also something that we can offer to patients uh, in the near future as well.
1: Well, that's great, and I know because of COVID, uh, all of us hear the phrase term clinical trials uh, in the news every day. But you know, I think it's I think I can speak for a lot of people that there there is some some mystery. It's something. It's a term you've heard of but don't quite understand. So, for vision. in vision health, how do clinical trials work?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the clinical trials are are done primarily to assess whether a new medication is both safe and whether it's effective for, um, for a new treatment. And, uh, and, and so the way that it works uh, is this uh, so the, I think the benefits for um, patients is that it potentially allows you access to a medicine before it might be um, available on the market. So for diseases that have no treatment or cure, if the drug is successful, then, uh, then, then you may have access to it uh, earlier. Uh, now, the other thing, kind of more on a global standpoint, is that uh, whether the drug is effective or not, that we will learn a lot of these things from these clinical trials, which will benefit um, all patients uh, in general, moving forward,
1: uh, so what
0: happens is that if you are uh, if, if you're interested in a clinical study is that first uh, first you are screened to see if you are eligible for that, so you'll go through a lot of uh, tests, you'll probably take some blood work, we'll check your vision, probably a little bit more than you would have in your your normal visit. and then if you are qualified for uh, for the trial, then you are you are what's called randomized. And so to figure out whether a drug works or not, we need to compare uh, the investigational drug to then either the standard of care or, or what's called a placebo if, if there's no standard of care. So people are, are put uh, uh, into one of these two groups, and, uh, and the patients don't know which group they're in, and the doctors also don't know which group they're in. Um, so they're called what's called masks and and so that really helps to lead to the um objectiveness of of the clinical trial and so once you're then randomized uh then you're going to receive either the uh the the drug treatment or you'll be receiving um uh, what you would normally get in the clinic um and uh and then over time then you will then be uh you'll go through the study and then they'll then unlock the results and see whether this treatment was, uh, was effective or not. Um, and, uh, and, and so I think from a patient standpoint, the way that it differs from a regular clinical visit is that uh, number one, uh, there's a bit more testing and, uh, and the, um, the exams are, are much, uh, they're a little bit more involved and thorough. I like to tell patients that, uh, you know, we're really gonna be looking very, very closely um, at your eyes to see if there's anything that's going on. Uh and then also it's a little bit different in that there's usually a clinical coordinator, um, almost like it's almost like a concierge kind of thing where um where patients are led through that trial at um at every step of the way.
1: Well that's great. This is really helpful. Um so Dr. Shaw, I know you said that you you actually are running a clinical trial. Um you know what's that type of research like what's that like To do, does it give you a lot of hope for the future, or how how do you know what's the sort of what have you uh, you know personally taken out of that experience of running a trial? Yeah, absolutely.
0: You know, I think uh, you know what's really exciting about that is that you know these trials, um, you know, we're really very close to then being at a point where we might have uh, new treatments for for patients. So a lot of times the trials that we do. They've been, uh, they've been done in earlier stages uh, where the drug has been shown to be safe. And, and then another trial usually shows that, uh, that there's some kind of efficacy. So um, after the end, after we perform this clinical trial and there are positive results, uh, then this could be a drug that, that then would come into the market in, in the next few years. And so it's very gratifying to be, uh, to be a part of that effort um, to, um, to be involved in seeing whether these treatments work and, and bringing new treatments, um, uh, to the market.
1: That's great. Really seems like an opportunity for both you and your patients to get a little glimpse at the, at the future. And so, um, Dr. Chow, how, how would a patient, whether that's in a, um, you know, how does it with, with eye medication, how does someone know that the treatment is safe and effective? Yeah, I think
0: that's a great question. Uh, there's a number of steps uh, first to determine whether it's safe. So all of these clinical studies are highly regulated by the Food and Drug Administration. Uh, so the first thing is that uh, say there's some uh, you know, exciting work in the lab, then first there's a lot of work to make sure that the drug is at a very high purity, that the manufacturing quality uh, is very high, that there's no contaminants um, before it can be first tested in humans. And then those first uh, trials are called what are called phase one or phase one, two studies. And, um, and and so these are testing it in either healthy volunteers or patients who have very end stage disease. And uh, so these are patients that are not necessarily thought to be able to, um, may not necessarily benefit from the treatment uh, directly, but really helps determine whether the drug is safe. And then once we have an idea that the drug is, is safe, then we move on to the next uh, clinical trial, which is generally called a phase two trial, in which we, we take a population of patients with the disease and those without,
1: and we get a general
0: idea of, of, of whether, the, the, whether there's any hint that the drug may be effective um, at this point. And again, we're also collecting more safety data uh, as well. If that's successful, then we would move on to what's called the, um, the phase three trial, which are larger trials. Um, again, testing uh, the, uh, the drug versus a, a comparison arm, and then it's at that point if those larger trials are uh, successful and show positive results, uh, then potentially it can then go on to the market. Uh, now, one thing to say about clinical studies is is really to make sure that um, that you're pers- uh, that you're participating in a, uh, in a legitimate uh, clinical study and, and not um, something that's not regulated by the FDA. Uh, there, there are a couple ways to, uh, to to look at. I think the first thing is that you can look at, there's a website of, of clinical trials. It's called clinicaltrials.org. Um, um, I'm sorry, clinicaltrials.gov, which will um, show a listing of all the clinical trials. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean, again, that, uh, that, that those are all legitimate trials. You know I think the other thing is certainly to ask your ask your doctor about it to make sure it's a it's a trial that he's heard of um, you know another big red flag is if you have to pay to be in the clinical trial um, that that's a that's definitely a big red flag uh, because all of these clinical studies are usually sponsored um, by the companies and and the treatment uh, should be uh, should be free of charge
1: yeah and related to I think we've uh, uh some of our Callers, um, you know, over the last few months have mentioned that they've heard some n- news stories about some stem cell clinical trials that, uh, that they had concerns about. Yes, absolutely.
0: So, there's, uh, so uh, I guess in terms of stem cells, there have been a couple of very early trials uh, using stem cells. These are usually cell transplants that are put in patients who, are, uh, who have a very end-stage disease. And, you know, I would say those, uh, those stem cell uh, uh, trials are still in the very early stage. Um, I think it's very exciting, but it's still a long ways away before we know whether this will be, um, whether it be successful or not. Now, there have been also this explosion of these uh, stem cell clinics, and these are places that offer stem cells as a um, they, they report it as a treatment it could be for macular generation could be for glaucoma could be for a bunch of different things and so these are not part of a clinical trial um, uh, these are clinics that are um, that are taking uh, stem cells usually out of the patient's body sometimes out of the uh, from their fat and then going ahead and then uh, usually injecting it into their eye injecting it through, uh, through an iv and so these are not regulated. Um, these have not been tested to make sure that they are safe and, and efficacious, and hasn't gone through this very regulated process. So I would uh, I would I would strongly um, uh, discourage from, from uh, you from uh, uh, from going for one of these treatments. Uh, you know I think there's another thing that uh, that speaking to your doctor uh, will be really helpful to help you identify uh, you know which of these trials. Um, are uh, are legitimate, and which ones uh, which ones may not be.
1: Well, great. We re- really appreciate your uh, your note of note of caution on that. And uh, you know, uh, kind of in the the remaining couple minutes here, I just want to get to to, to one question that, that that a number of people have asked today. Um, genetic uh, is AMD genetic? And one person asked about is it sibling to sibling? We've had a few people ask about parent to child. Uh, uh, you know um, predispositions, I was wondering if you could could address that yeah, absolutely, so there are some um, there,
0: I, I would say it's um, there's a lot of different factors that play into whether you get um, macular degeneration. I think genetics is a part of it, but also uh, the uh, the environment also plays a, a big role um, so genetic testing isn't something that we what, that we frequently do um, if if your family members um, yeah, uh, like your parents or other members of your family have macular degeneration uh, you do have a, um, a a slightly increased risk and so i would recommend going for uh, certainly a, a screening visit with your with your ophthalmologist um that being said it's not uh like a one-to-one thing where if you're if your if your mom or dad had it that you definitely will have it and and currently genetic testing for macular degeneration is not something that's routinely recommended uh, uh, for macular degeneration.
1: Good. That, that, that's uh, good to know the current current state of that. And so, uh, Dr. Chow, um, you know, as we conclude the conversation today, you know, in, in your experience uh, in the clinic and in the lab, is there sort of one big picture piece of advice you'd like to give um, your patients or like to give the the, the listeners today? Yeah, I think one thing
0: is is that, you know, we've come a long way in macular degeneration. Uh, you know, I would say even 15 years ago, patients were going blind from from wet macular degeneration and and we've made incredible strides now to have medications that will um help uh prevent blindness and, and stabilize vision. So what I'd like to give all of the um, all the patients out there is um, is certainly there's a lot of hope. Um, you know, I think we've gone a long way in wet macular degeneration and we're right on the cusp of having some really exciting treatments for dry macular degeneration. And even if we may not have something right away, there's a lot of people uh, working very hard uh, to find new treatments and, uh, and and these things are always around the corner and there are um, there are multiple clinical studies going on um, and and so I'd certainly um, uh, take away that that there's a lot of hope for the future in terms of treatments for macular degeneration.
1: Well, that's great, that's good to know because it's something so so critical to our quality of life like uh, vision this is This is really uh, very hopeful very very helpful information that that you've shared uh, with our audience. And uh, Dr. Chow, just on behalf of the audience today and, and Bright Focus, I just really want to thank you for, for all you're doing. Like you've um, uh, really shown us that, that through research and uh, greater public awareness, um, that, that there really is hope uh, on the on the horizon for for wet AMD. And I know that um, uh, the research that, that you're working on with Bright Focus funding is is particularly exciting and encouraging. So I just really want to thank you for uh, for all you're doing. It was a pleasure, Michael. Great. And so, to our audience, this concludes today's Bright Focus chat. You can call us anytime at 800 437 2423. Again, that's 800 437 2423. You can find us on the internet at brightfocus.org. So, on behalf of, of Bright Focus, I just want to thank you very much for joining us today, and we'll talk with you next month. Thanks.
0: The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.